we all take our work seriously, but at the end of the day, we want we want to be able to have fun doing it and have a great time. And um, we just want uh, when people come over here, we want them to, to relax and just enjoy the province and the people. Um, that means you know sitting down and, and having a good glass of wine. Then we're all for it. This is over a glass. I'm Shante Whale. Kiora. Matthew Sutherland is General Manager of Dog Point Vineyard in Marlborough, New Zealand, one of the most recognisable wine brands and New Zealand's largest certified organic vineyard. Today I'm joined by Matt, who works tirelessly to spread the word and wine of his family across the globe. Hi Matt, thanks for joining me. Hi Shantae, thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and it's been a long time between drinks. The words changed so much uh, since we last saw each other. How are you? Oh, I'm really well. It's been, uh, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, crazy, crazy few years, but uh, looks like things might be starting to get back to a bit of normality. But um, yeah, it's, it's been a long time since I've seen uh, some of our Aussie friends over the, over the ditch. So next time, I've been hugging everyone I see that's not a Kiwi. So uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, a welcome um, welcome to get back to traveling again. I bet, especially for you, who's somebody that's kind of, you know, got the travel bug and you're kind of everywhere. Um, Dog Point Vineyard and the people behind it have a very special place in my heart. But can you give me a bit of a rundown down on how Dog Point all started for you all? Yeah, like it's, it's, it's a... Um I guess it, we kind of started off as a farming family, really. You know, like we were we were uh, down the east side of Marlborough, like near the coast, um, only sort of five, ten minutes away um, growing up. On, and I grew up on a cropping farm down there growing corn. And, I mean, my memories were just running through sort of uh, cornfields. So um, we uh, very much uh, – I was on uh, my father's family farm and uh, dad was a rower and he was, he was doing a lot of rowing at that time and he rowed for New Zealand and – um, so he was doing a lot of travel, but he also did sort of farm management and, and valuation. And I think th- through that, he was, you know, uh, involved with a lot of Marlborough farmers and that evolution of of what was happening in the industry and, and around the region. So he naturally, uh, with his cousin, um, planted a vineyard in 1979. And uh, so that's well before I was born. And then um, it kind of just evolved from there. So we, we sort of moved... Um, out to where Dog Point is in about 1988 and um, I started primary school out there and things kind of just evolved really so the first plantings were 79 and it just sort of uh, I guess took off from there. Dad uh, took on the viticultural director role for Cloudy Bay so he was responsible for you know uh, doing all the vineyards, the development and you know he he was I guess involved with the brand side as well with Kevin and James and look and it just sort of grew so I guess first and foremost we were, we were a farming family and it evolved into viticulture and we were a grower um, for, for quite some time and it really wasn't until I guess 2002 that we started um, making wine for ourselves so you know the Dog Point vineyards are old in a Marlborough sense but in, in when I talk about the wines in bottle we're actually we're not that old at all. Mm. I think it's it's you have to be reminded of that, especially because your father Ivan has such a wealth of knowledge, and like you said, he's so ingrained into the Marlborough region. But it's such a competitive region, considering the growth exponentially in the last few, well, last twenty years or so. Does community play a role in Marlborough? Uh, yeah, look, there's about 28,000 hectares in Marlborough now, if you consider um, the size of that compared to um, you know even the the Cote d'Or. You know, we're, we're 
we've come a long way in a short time. And I think the one thing that I love about our region is the mix of business and the mix of people and the goals and aspirations of everybody. You know, like we've got huge international investment here. Um, and, but we've got, um, you know, the small artisan producer too and everything in between. And I think that makes for a really healthy um, working industry. And, you know, everyone, um, we're very collaborative here um, and we work really closely with, you know, six or seven different wineries. And we're really fortunate that we can just, you know, be benching wines and and just, you know, getting other people's opinion. And, and it's very much a constructive um I guess uh, culture that we that we work for. So I think uh, you know it's it's evolved, but everyone is of the same um, elk, I guess, and they want to they want Marlborough to be a premium wine growing region, which it is. But it's also about spreading the word and the diversity and the um, both with the people in it and and the the tour as well. Well, it certainly has um, shaped so much of you know the southern hemisphere in terms of of people's perception of wine and we'll all forever be grateful i think of that let's talk a little bit about your experience you studied a bachelor of viticulture and then went on to a bachelor of commerce and then you decided to gain experience in sales and marketing with red and white it's clear that you're a bit of an overachiever are you just the kind of person that wants to know everything uh, yeah, overachiever. I don't think anyone's told me that before, but I'll take that one someday. That's, <laughs> I um, look. It's a funny thing, you know. Like I, I, I grew up on the vineyard, and um, I guess my summers were filled with you know bud rubbing and lifting wires. And if I was lucky, I got to drive a tractor, you know. But it was very much you know you, you have to earn the right to sit on a piece of machinery, um, and so. I was working sort of all through school, you know, I went off to boarding school in Christchurch and I'd be coming back and, and that, that were my summer jobs. I did one at Claddy Bay, one for Novolo. Um, and I must admit, by the end of it, I was just like completely over it. And I just didn't want really to do viticulture. I didn't want to do winemaking. It, it, it just didn't feel uh, the right fit for me. So I was just like, the only thing I was sure about is that I wanted to go to university because it sounded like fun. And so I applied for three different universities and, um, you know, then I had to decide which one I wanted to go to. And I guess, you know, when you, when you do do that, I left school and I, well, a lot of people will be in the same boat. It's just like, well, what do I do now? And um, I just thought, look, I've, 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 I've got a history with viticulture. I really, I don't think I want to do it, but maybe I'll change my mind. So look, I'll start there and see what happens. And um, it was really... I guess I got going and I, I, yeah, honestly, I just found it really boring and I was, um, I was, <laughs> I was 18 months into it and I said to some friends, I said, I think I'm going to change because I just wasn't, wasn't really feeling it and it's, um, it's a funny thing, you know, and I, I was really in 2000, I was kind of the second, third year, going into third year and then, uh, uh, my folks and James Healy, so he was also a partner at Dog Point, were heading over to visit um, uh, the Francois Freire, which is our um, barrel cooper. And they said, well, do you want to tag along? And I was like, well, uh, yeah, I do. I'm 20 years old and I'd love to go to Europe. Absolutely. I was, uh, you know, and uh, so I was, I, was, I mean, it's a, I was very um, lucky in that regard to be able to do that. But the one vivid memory I have is just – 
sitting uh, in a in with Francois Freire, and they'd put us up in their little um, ho- sort of hostel. Or sorry, I say hostel, but they're really nice house in Saint Romain, and um, we're having having dinner with the with the owners and. You know, it was James's birthday, and um, it was uh, in my really first foray into, um, I guess, communicating with you know uh, people in the industry outside of my own little bubble. Um, and so we're chatting away, and uh, they started bringing these wines out, and it was wine after wine after wine after wine after wine. And I was sitting next to James, and James was drinking every single one and not spitting out because it was his birthday and then so him and I and I just followed what James was doing and I ended up doing the same thing and so James and I got completely and utterly hammered at our um, <laughs> and the last one that he brought out was a 1993 Latash and it was you know well beyond my uh <laughs> my education at the time and I was way out of my league but I do remember having it going man that is really really tasty and it wasn't until really afterwards that it dawned on me and it's only later I guess that the 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 significance of that bottle and um so the next day I was just um I sort of thought to myself there's a different side to this to the industry it's not all viticulture it's not all sort of winemaking it's not all science you know there's a huge other area and I was really sort of fascinated to maybe sort of learn a bit more about it so I actually came back from that trip and that's when I decided to to have a crack at um, business management and commerce and see if I could maybe combine the two and find something there that would that would float my boat I guess and that's what I did so I stayed on at uni and did another honours degree and at the end of that, started going into sales and distribution and kind of never looked back. And I guess, um, you know, it's been invaluable. And I think the other thing is when, you, when you're working in a family business, and I wasn't sure at that point whether I was going to come back into it or not. But for me personally, I just wanted to be able to bring something to the table. You know, I didn't want to be, I guess, um, just coming back in and because it's a family run business, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, have my place there and I'll just find a spot and I'll do my thing and I really wanted to add value and um, that's just sort of my personality really I, I everything I do I need to be um, making sure I'm, I'm um, you know adding something to the conversation or um, and I need to earn the right to do that because there's there's so many people that have been working in our business for such a long time and doing an amazing job that I needed to be also um, you know proving a point that you know I can um, you know, add something that we haven't got and a skill set that we don't have. And so that was what really appealed. And so I sort of just started off on that and it kind of just evolved and took me to, um, you know, I was in Wellington for a period and then into Australia and then into London. And and it's really, um, it's funny how things work. I, I, I started just meeting all these producers, you know, these small producers out of France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland and you know, the passion that they had, you know, they, they were just ingrained in what they do. And it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, and it just sort of started to rub off on me. And it, it was more, uh, and and it was also their, their generosity and, uh, you know, explaining, you know, the, the evolution and the history of their businesses, you know, hosting you. Um, you know, I, I started talking to people like Jasper Morris and these are just wealth of knowledge people that are just so happy to share their experiences and that's when it started sort of, I guess, the, the urge to kind of start going back in towards production uh, creep forward again and so, 
that yeah it's a, it's it's sort of I've done a full 360 really and so um, it's been a it's been a bit of a journey but I've loved every minute of it that's what I love about talking to your you and your family is that you always surprise me now when I first looked at your resume I thought you know here's somebody that knows that he's going to be in the family business but he's going to have to do the ropes of doing all these things but in fact your story really is more of the fact that you found it quite boring and you know you wanted to just find some fun along the way and if you could work wine into it that would be you know something to do with viticulture or something to do with wine that would be good and that's so honest of you to say that because you're right it can be incredibly dull and it can be you know very scientific this whole world but there's this other side to it which is so much about um sharing and people and passion that it kind of balances out all of that um nerdy stuff yeah well uh, and i think it's um i i you know, like I was young and probably very naive and just um, following my own path and um, you know when you're when you're 18 19 years old I mean I just wanted to drink beer and have fun and um, who doesn't you know and and who yeah exactly exactly and so you know you do all those things and then I think um, you learn as you go and I, I loved um, meeting you know so many different people and I've just got so many friends across the world now and it's I'm just so privileged to have that and um I think that's kind of the whole the whole thing makes sense because I've I, I did it the other way. I think if I stayed in production and just and did that, I possibly wouldn't have the same passion that I do now. And um, it's it's sort of starting from the I guess the top and working backwards of being able to connect the dots a bit for just for me personally and connecting that line. And um, I think it's. Uh, you know, it's it's been a, a, a great journey, but I, I think you you know you can for everyone out there. I mean, it's, it's so many times you can leave school or university and you just you're just not feeling the, you know the, the vibe of what you want to do, and so to change and go a different direction is a really positive step in my mind. And um, you know, you got to try things to work out what you don't like, and I think the same thing goes for you know, winemaking and the one thing I was told, you know, by Ivan and James is, you know, winemaking is really simple and you, you, but you do have to complicate it to simplify it. You have to try stuff to work out what works and what doesn't. And often you'll go back and go, actually, it's just the little, the little one percenters that make the difference. And, um, you know, and that might be something as simple as, you know, handpicking for our style. I mean, um, they're just little things. And so I started, you know, basically doing the same thing, just simplifying the whole process. And I think, um, you know, with everything we do now, even in general life, just try not to complicate stuff too much. And, you know, things just sort of happen and, and work out. So, um, you know, we work really hard to do what we do. But I think at the same time, we were surrounded by a really great crew as well. So we all, we all managed to um, support each other and, and have a lot of fun doing it. So we're, we're really uh, privileged and lucky to do, do what we do. Yeah, it, it really seems to be that, you know, with, you know, a, a brand as such, you, you do need to have, um, to be savvy in, in business, but in, in kind of all aspects. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, Dogpoint has been so successful because you do have 
people like yourself that are really strong in in communication or selling the brand in the distribution and network and how that works let alone all the other parts and and there are sadly a few wineries that make wonderful wine but just don't know how to communicate it or go out there and and you have people to do that but I think with you being so attached to the to your brand and the family you've got someone that knows the inner workings of of a lot of the aspects which is really really very clever so good on you for doing all that hard work to get to get you to that point yeah yeah well it's I'm lucky to be where I am but it's also um to I love every sort of part of the um I guess the of the industry and so I love dabbling in everything and um but in order to do that you've got to be with you know working with people that can really own stuff as well so I'm really lucky to have like Murray and Nigel and Anna and you know as a team collectively you know we we can you know we work really well together and it's um it's just uh makes my life a lot easier and then I can really um hone into what you love but you 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 know we get to enjoy every part of it and I think as a family business that's one of the strengths is you're not isolated to one thing you you are engrossed in every single part and that's whether you're a winemaker a viticulturalist or you know you're you're an operational uh, genius you know out in the out in the working machinery so that's what we try and do and um bring people along for the for the journey really yeah you can definitely tell it's a very strong knit group that you have which is amazing you I want to talk about the portfolio because dog point has four incredibly strong wines why the decision to make four wines and not stretch it out and have different layers and different lines yeah great great question it's um and i think the the answer to that is just it was simplifying things and just trying to do four things really well and I think, um, you know, the guys had been at Cloudy Bay previously to make sort of a few different wines. And I think they just wanted to get back to the, the nitty gritty and um, just focus on what Marlborough does really, really well. And, and with our experience and what our vineyards do too. So, look, we had established vines in the ground before we started, which was really useful. And we'd worked with those blocks um, you know, in, in previous lives before Dog Point. So we'd seen the evolution and flavour profiles and the structure that they deliver into the wines. And I think, um, you know, we, we, we just decided, you know, four wines and we wanted to do everything. Like we wanted to make the wines, clean the barrels, you know, and it wasn't a case of, um, you know, we were concerned that if you, the bigger you get, the more help you need. And so uh, we did want to be able to have that quality control element. And I think we just thought four wines and, you know, I think the best bit of advice that we got was, if you can, uh, you know, make really good wine, and you know, if you can go to Australia, New Zealand, and the United States, then and and you're good enough, then people will will come and talk to you. And so, I guess that's what we did. We just um, worked with Red and White in Australia, who have been since day dot and been an amazing agent to work with. And um, originally, Berry Brothers and right in the UK, and and now with Vintus in the United States. And so, it's kind of just evolved from there. And it's um, it's been a um, it's ne- and we've never wavered from that. I think the one thing we have been trying to do is is the ageability. And um, I guess, we, you know, we talk about Marlborough and um, Sauvignon Blanc and, it, you know, in some in some ways it can be the Achilles heel because, you know, it's it's sort of Dawn Marlborough's seen as a, not a one-trick pony, but um, it is very much the 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 core of what, what the industry does here. But there's world-class Chardonnay and Pinot and Riesling. And so I guess for us, it was always about challenging the the mentality that Sauvignon needed to be drunk within six to 12 months. And so, because it sort of sent the re- wrong message in our eyes. And 
so for us, we were trying to make styles um, of all wines uh, that particularly Sauvignon, that can go 10 years plus. And so we've done a lot more around holding wine back and re-releases and, and trying to, I guess, do, do the ageing for people to, to really show the freshness that retains in the, in the bottle with, with time. And um, that really comes down to, I guess, the ethos from hand-picking and whole bunch pressing to get minimal skin contact right, right through. So... Um, Doing doing four, doing it well, and there's just so much to learn within those with our own vineyards, and you know I feel like that that's busy enough. Having said that, we do make home bake um, sparkling sparkling wine that we just drink here while we make the other stuff, but we, it's not we don't sell it. <laughs> so, oh, that's such so a tease. Small small, small <laughs> production, Shantae. So you have to come back over to have that one. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. <laughs> Um, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because most of us are familiar with have to having tasted a Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough and you do them so incredibly well. And so I understand completely why there's a plethora of bottlings. Um, but like you said, you've always had a slightly different approach to longevity, um, not only just the freshness that you maintain, but the complexity that changes over time. So Section 94 made huge waves in Australia. Tell me a little bit about uh what happened when you released Section 94 and the response that you got? Well, that was um, that, the first vintage was 2002, actually. So I'd just finished university. Uh, well, the first um, – I just started, sorry. I'm, I'm not that old. But um, I, uh, <laughs> I uh, feel like it sometimes. But I uh, – I, yeah, I was coming back for vintages, you know, for vintage when I could. And um, that was uh, – that parcel actually went to – Cloudy Bay, I guess, for the first 18 years. And Ivan and James saw that coming through. And, you know, it was never aromatically the best wine um, or the best parcel, but structurally it was always in the top three. And when I say that, the kind of relationship between pH, acidity and bricks and getting that physiological balance in the, in the berries. So, you know, when we went to do Section 94, you know, and, and this was before, I mean, I'm, I, was in, I was in the mix, but by no means on the payroll. Um, you know, Ivan and James were like, that's, that's why we're going for it. And I guess uh, it was planted in 1992. So uh, I guess there was, there was 10 years of uh, established planting there. Still young, I guess, when you think about it. But now, you know, we've got 30 years on that vineyard. And I guess the style was about... Um, really using wild yeast in barrel and um, sort of experimenting with that. So we haven't wavered too much there. I mean, it's always been about evolution um, rather than trying to, you know, all old barrels, you know, the more sort of vessels to hold the ferment rather than trying to get sort of oak into the wine. So, you know, originally we had to buy old barrels from a, um, France um, for those first two vintages, but now we can recycle them through our own um, um production but um and it's 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 yeah i guess so in a sense it's a single vineyard but it's more i guess the 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 i guess the different tack and winemaking styles so it's you know full barrel ferment and 18 months sitting on on that lees and and wild yeast and it's a very kind of oxidative process like we just we just let it go really um and just, uh, it's, I always sort of say it's a bit like unpasteurized cheese. We don't really do anything to protect the freshness of it. And the one thing I love about it, you know, you can see the vintage variation. Like if it's a cold year, you'll see it. If it's a hot year, you'll see it. And it's, um, it really sort of has its own personality. So, um, 
and it's very unique to that one vineyard. So there's some great examples of barrel fermented styles coming out of Marlborough, but that's very much in its own kind of little world. And, um, you know, we love it. And I think as we've gone, you know, we've pushed the boundaries of uh, reduction and using full solids. And, you know, there's one year with We've probably found the boundary, gone over it quite a bit, <laughs> and then decided, oh, yeah, that's probably a bit much. And then we've we've held it back, and then, funnily enough, just re-released it now. So these are all these little things that you, you know, every vintage is different, and the climate's changing, and the, um, what we're dealing with on the ground is 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 never been so volatile. So it's um, it's about trying to be fluid and move and you know learn from what you've done and also use the knowledge of everyone in our team to achieve the best result we can. So um, I guess uh, the Section 94 is definitely one that um, is a, we love it, but it's, it's also, I love giving it to people that have never had that sort of style of wine before because they, they just sit on it and they think about it and first sometimes they go, oh, I don't know if I like it, but by the end of it, they love it but they still can't pin down the variety. or So once you've had it once, you never forget it. But um, I think for a first-timer, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always a real pleasure to, to taste with them and talk them through it. Mm. It's a great wine to give someone blind. And you, you, you're right, they always have quite a visceral reaction to it. It's, it's kind of love or hate or I'm not sure, please explain what is happening in my mouth, which is really, it's a joy to watch people, <laughs> people try it. But I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, it is so seasonal because I have had, um, you know, vintages which I really, really preferred over different ones. And I think that, like you said, you have, you know, over time changed the styles a little bit and tweaked it. And it's great to see the evolution. And that, and that really should be what wine should be. It should reflect, you know, the place it comes from and the time and the people behind it. And, and all of that changes. It doesn't stay the same. So it's nice to hear. Yeah, well, it's, um, and that's, the, that's what it's about, right? I mean, it's, um, and, and that's, it just tells a story of what happened in the vineyard that year. And, um, you know, we don't try and, I guess, cover things up that didn't happen or, you know, what you see is what you get with the four of our wines. And um, hopefully, uh, you know, we're probably a little bit selfish. We make styles of wine we like to drink ourselves. I mean, if, and if COVID's anything to go by, we ended, we, it was us that ended up drinking quite a lot of it. So it's, um, <laughs> it, it proved, uh, proved a, a good philosophy. But look, we're just, uh, you know, thrilled to be able to, do what we're doing and and obviously um you know looking forward to getting back over to to australia and and a bit more and and getting the wines back out there again yeah and showcasing to them in peak to in in person because that's really i'm sure one of the the joys of of yeah seeing your wines finally in bottle and, and sharing them with the world um you talked a little bit about you know, we said the four four wines and, and I actually really like that about Dog Point because I, I feel I can grasp what you guys do. I can delve deeper into some of um, the organic practices and the winemaking that you use because there's not so many wines to get your head around. And like you said, I think they're all really strong in, in each bottling. Um, but in a few sentences, can you tell me what you think makes Pinot Noir and Chardonnay unique in Marlborough? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... Um Look, we've got a we've got a lovely climate here. I mean, we're maritime. We get nice, even ripening, um, but a lot of it comes down to canopy management. And I think, particularly, you know, with a with a few exceptions, I mean, Marlborough is a bit like a mini Champagne, and all the key parcels of land are held by contract growers. And so, um, you know, in Marlborough, there's a lot of sourcing from the wider region to to you know 
to to make these wines and as a result you get an expression of the region and for us we're very much confined to the southern valleys that's we're all estate grown and so we've got a lot more of that silty clay straight clay influence um you know and the effects of that on chardonnay particularly is that kind of citrus core flavors and so i feel like um you know with mendoza dominant and um a very similar style of making uh, wine making to to um section 94 and that we're, we're fermenting on full solids and sort of, sort of playing that reduction line but we're trying to get more of the flinty kind of influence coming through um and uh, you know we've got to we can't push the boundaries of ripeness in Marlborough. we're not hot enough for long enough and so we've we've got this sort of citrus core and we want a more refreshing style of chardonnay and i think it works really well here you've seen a i reckon in the last particularly 15 years 20 years that sort of move in chardonnay to that kind of style where it is more refreshing and, and really understanding what's happening in the region and, and um, building, you know, or making and uh, evolving the wines to suit, you know, what we've got to work with. And, you know, we're a really young industry and it's kind of maturity of industry in a way. And, you know, that's the exciting part. You know, we've, we've come such a long way in a short time. And, you know, what happens when we start getting this, you know, 40, 50 years on these vines and the concentration and the structure we're going to be able to achieve. And, you know, that's that's really exciting for us. And that's what I say, four wines, you know, we've got so much to look forward to and so much to understand that I feel like um, we don't have room for much else. But the same goes for Pinot, I think, um, uh you know, in Marlborough particularly, there's a lot of chat around Southern Valleys and um, those straight clay soils and providing that concentration and depth of flavour. Um, and I think a lot of the early days, and probably fair enough that a lot of those early plantings were clones suitable for sparkling wine production, and they're all on the gravel gravel soils out on the Wairau Plain. And, you know, what, what happens is the, the, the canopies get so warm because the, the rocks are so hot, and then you end up getting these sort of ripe sort of fruity sort of um ripe so slightly leaner styles of pinot and you know that's that's again as as understanding site and clone and um we're really fortunate that we've been on these southern sites and uh got the vine age with the right clonal mix and now we're getting you know on those right sites so we're starting to see the the benefits of of that and i think they're saying there's some a group of producers, 10, 15 producers doing amazing Pinot. And I think, um, you know, that is, in, in, in New Zealand particularly, I think um, there's some real value there in a bottle of wine at the moment. Because, as you know, it's such a fickle variety and it takes such a, a lot of love and attention to, to, to make it. And I think, um, you know, if people look to Marlborough and, and really do their homework, they're going to be pleasantly surprised with what's coming out of here. And that, that's people like um, Grey Wacky, Corifin, uh, Novum settlement, you know, these are all these small producers, like and like ourselves, just really trying to to hone in and 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 work with work with the pastures of land we've got in a, in a Marlborough style. So we're very much in the red berry spectrum, but we have lovely, nice, soft tannin. It's just about getting the concentration, and that's where your cropping and canopy management comes into play. So, look, it's um it's an evolving uh, evolving process, but it's really exciting, and I think um. You know, I, I think we've got uh, a lot to offer, and I'd definitely um, put our Pinots and, and Chardonnay up against against anything, really. Um, 
if uh, if that well, I did one there. It was uh, with Sean Smith actually at the Noosa uh, at the Noosa Wine and Food Festival, and the, uh, I felt like I was I was outnumbered by Australians, but they put me at the post. But they, uh, I'll, I'll have to have Adam on about that. <laughs> There's always another year, don't you worry. And I know I <laughs> yeah, imagine right. Sean Smith is always up for it. They love to put their wines, I guess, the wines of the world. So I'm sure you'll have another chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say when I when I was over there, I actually spent. I was very lucky to have a, a, almost a full day with your dad and one other person, and we went through, drove around Marlborough and. What I remember most from your dad is, other than being very eloquent the way he speaks, was that we he would get down in one area of Marlborough and he would, like, grab the soil and he would, like, talk to me through, you know, what was happening with some of the clays there. And then another area, we were, we were talking about airflow within, you know, through the canopy and, and we were kind of, you know, looking um, – another point right up on the top of the hill and we're talking about how where the sunlight hits and I just remember thinking I have really got such an amazing um, perspective from everything and I really felt like man this is the person that should take everyone around Marlborough if you ever get the chance <laughs> yeah. he's, he was just so ingrained in everything and and the people behind it you know the names of the families that were there and, and that grew and I was he was just absolutely fascinating individual and um, and I felt really lucky to have that day so su- such incredible people behind uh, behind Dog Point and uh, yeah, and, and it, it's no wonder why the wines are as good as they are. Yeah, well, that's nice of you to say. I mean, he he uh, hasn't sort of wavered since day one. You know, he's he's a you know I love love working with him. He's you know he's, and we're great friends. And um, at the same time, we can have our have our you know we have our debates like uh, father and son would. But uh, that's it's all healthy stuff. And um, but he uh, he he was born and bred Marlborough, and he and he's seeing the I guess that from it was farming country, and he's just witnessed the whole pioneering stage of viticulture all the way through. So. And sort of the knowledge before viticulture came along as well, which is, um, and as you say, the soils and um, and the variability, and even just these little nooks and crannies in the back country that he used to value back in the day. And he'd tell me a story about that, and it's just like, well, you know, it's invaluable. And we're really fortunate to have um, the experience there um, on our doorstep because it's uh, it definitely makes our, our life a lot easier when you you know if you're not sure of something or you just need a second opinion or you know, you can you, you've got sounding boards everywhere with all this experience. And between Ivan, Mark, James, and Wendy, you know, they've got so much of it, and they're so happy to share it. And um, as I say, it's uh, we're very fortunate as a, as a team to be able to call on that if we need it. And uh, you know, I don't think those guys will ever fully retire, and uh, they're still ingrained in, in what we do, and we wouldn't have it any other way because it's. Um, it uh, makes for a lot of fun and, and we're constantly learning. And um, I think even I'd say they're still learning every year. And if this last one's anything to go by um, and the one before, then uh, you know, that, that's certainly rain, rain true. So, um, no, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, no, it's a great thing and we're really fortunate. Yeah, you, can't, you can never sit back on your laurels and think, oh, we've learnt all we need to know now and we can uh, just chill out. That's, that's for sure in this industry. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's um, you know, it's uh, something tells me that's going to continue to happen. So it's uh, we just got to be ready for you know anything that comes our way, and just uh, just go move with the times. Keep on keeping on, exactly. As a family full of um, talented winemakers and growers, no doubt your family celebrations um, are pretty nice. How do the uh, 
Sutherlands celebrate together when you get together? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, it's a little bit like a um, uh, a commune here, to be honest, because uh, we've got uh, the winery and then uh, Nigel's down the road, Murray's to the south side, I'm to the north side, my two sisters are to the west side, and even our, um, our latest vineyard manager's living on site too. So you can actually, you don't have to drive off the vineyard to get to any one location. So for a start, it means you don't need taxis or Ubers or anything like that. So that that's critical. Um, and then, uh, look, we... we uh, we're always, you know, having a uh, socially having a beer or a, a wine with the team at work, and then as a family, you know, we'd celebrate all birthdays, and um, we all get along really well. And um, you know, uh, Ivan loves bringing out a few bottles, and uh, as you as you know, we we uh, we love sharing them with people, and it's yeah, I, there's no point hiding them away when they're ready to go. And you know, I think. Uh, being able to do that is, is pretty special and that's I think that's the one thing that really stuck with me through all my travel and, and working with people is just the utter generosity of people when it's and they don't even blink twice you know and it's, they do it so humbly and they just like they just get such a kick out of um, sharing something with you and uh, I really wanted to sort of I guess that stuck with me and that's what it's about everyone learns and and, and um, building friendships and um, being able to do that is, uh, is is a real privilege so we try to do the same thing you know we want you know we all take our work seriously but at the end of the day we want we want to be able to have fun doing it and have a great time and um, we just want uh, when people come over here we want them to, to relax and just enjoy the province and the people and um, that means you know sitting down and, and having a good glass of wine then we're all for it so it's uh, you know, we're we're always. Um, I think the toughest point this time, uh, spring and summer over here, is actually having a day when you don't have something. <laughs> so that's the that's the biggest challenge for us. But uh, there's always someone wanting a cold beer or a or a glass of Chablis or something. So um, you know, there's always something on offer, Shante. I, I think that that's great because everyone does have a different style of what they like to drink and and I actually really enjoy family events and gatherings that are really different and you know my Chinese family versus my you know my Aussie family they're all so different and and like you said I have a, a different tactic too I kind of get all the wines together I go no that's not going to work there and I'll put these here and and uh, it's nice to have an experience that's so different isn't it yeah absolutely and we uh, we're big fans of just getting a whole bunch of wine and throwing it on the table and then um, people can just you know they can if they want to have a Syrah first then you go right ahead you know and um, it's uh, each to their own and they just work their way through it and you know we'll try and give them an idea of different styles around New Zealand but abroad as well and um, I think uh, that's the um, yeah that's what we love about it it's the joy isn't it Uh, absolutely and and then some will just stick on a stick on a spates for the for the entire evening so that's fine as well yeah, exactly some some goes in with ice and that's fine too uh, <laughs> yeah that's right i'm keen to know matt if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life what would they be and why well that's a great question because i was thinking about this the other day um i listened to a few of your podcasts and then um i i i narrowed it down to eight Ooh. and then um i was like how am i gonna knock, how am i gonna knock this down to three so i was like well I um I think first and foremost that I have to go with gin and tonic. Um, I love number three uh, London dry gin. Um, 
I just and I'm a, I'm actually a celiac, so my beer drinking days are uh, numbered uh, over. Yeah, exactly. So gin is my go-to um, for a nice, refreshing um, drink on a hot day. Um, yeah, the other two are really tough. I think um, I'm a big fan of Saint Alban as an appellation. Um, I, you know, and that was something actually. Even when I was, I always I had a um, Pierre Eve Colin Moray when I was in the Netherlands once, and they just bought it out, and I think it was a 2011, um, and it was absolutely delicious. So I was like, what? You know, that was that was just amazing, and I've kind of. I just love the 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 I guess the focus that they have and the flintiness of the, of the back palates and particularly in even warm years they tend to be able to get this kind of freshness to them and um, that's something that I always gravitate towards. So um, anything out of Saint Romain, I mean, if I was being really picky, you know, the Pierre wines or the the Lamies and things are they just deliver every year, but they're very hard to get. Yeah, the Lamies are getting more and more difficult, which is a bit of a pain, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and then, uh, so, yeah, probably a gin, a Chardonnay, and, oh, the next one's um, is, is tricky. I love Negroni, and then uh, I, was, I was, I actually, I think um, I might have to put a Riesling in there as well. Um, so, something from JJ Prim or um, even the Dr. Lucent wines, I, I love them. Um, it's something out of the Mosul. It's, it's, we had a visit there one year, and um, Catriona, um, Catriona, who is at uh, JJ Prim, took us through about, it was Murray and myself, and went through about 12 different different vintages and she was hugely um, generous with her time and uh, they're just such delicious wines and I uh, just I, I don't know how they do it <laughs> but um, I think if it was me I'd be having a, a, a gin and tonic um, a prim uh, Riesling and then I'd probably have a uh, something out of St. Alban. I like that and look I'll give you the Negroni because it's gin based so that can go in there too and I won't be too harsh. Yeah great <laughs> well the other thing I was thinking of is I could I noticed that um, a couple of your people chose champagne, so I figured I could do a swap with them as well if uh, if we were stuck Definitely. with three wines. Yeah, and look, you know, Chardonnay <laughs> based as well, so you can you know you can stretch it out, and yeah, three is pretty pretty harsh and uh, to to force people into just choosing threes. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I like it makes us really think, so I love it. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that cracks me up. And I was thinking, when you said um, St. Aubin, all I could think of was PYCM. And I was like, he, that's got to be the wine that, that turned him on to St. Aubin because I'm a, a, such a fan of St. Aubin too. But it was the um, Pierre-Yves wines that turned my head and went, what's happening in this region? Holy moly. So Yeah, yeah. And it's um, amazing. Well, I wanted to say, you know, it's one of the most generous and down-to-earth wine families um, that I've ever met. I want to thank you for your time today and thank everybody behind Doug Point. I think I could probably use a metaphor and say that you've certainly proved your worth to be in the driving seat of Doug Point these days. A little bit like uh, that experience with your tractor as a kid. I think you've uh, you've really achieved so much and uh, it's in very good hands. And I'm really glad that you made some time for me today and I hope our paths cross again soon. Oh, same here, Shante. Thanks very much for, for having us. And um, yeah, like it's, uh, we're hopefully not going anywhere. And um, as, uh, as I say, it'd be n- nice to get over there and, and see you guys again. And hopefully you come back out to New Zealand and see us and uh, we welcome you with, with open arms. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you so much, Matt. We appreciate it. Keep on keeping on and cheers to you. Uh, cheers to you. Thanks very much. 
is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.